Welcome to episode 53 of the CyberGuy podcast. I am your host, retired FBI Supervisory Special Agent Darren Mott. And in this episode, I interview Daniel Clemens, the CEO and founder of Shadow Dragon, and Dr. Chase Cunningham about his new book, Gabriel. So it's going to be a little interesting format in this particular podcast because one of the interviews I did with Daniel Clemens uh, was at the National Cyber Summit a couple weeks ago here in Huntsville. I'm, I have a bunch of these interviews I did. I'm parsing them out over the series of several episodes. The other interview I did last week with Dr. Chase Cunningham. Now, Dr. Cunningham has been on the program before. He is a zero trust expert, former NSA cryptologist, and now newly minted, well, not newly minted, but a newly minted fiction author. Uh, he, he wrote some a nonfiction book and some... Um, uh, graphic novels in the past, but this is his first foray into uh, cyber fiction, I guess we can call it. Uh, and so we have a very good conversation about what his book is about, and I highly recommend you go find it. It's on Amazon. It's a real quick read, uh, but we'll talk about that book with him. But before we get to either one of those interviews, it's always nice to start the podcast with some good news. So this is from earlier this week, October 18th. This is from TechCrunch.com. The Revo ransomware group goes dark after its Tor sites were hijacked. Well, the, as I said on, on LinkedIn when I posted this article, well, that's a shame. So Revo, the notorious Russian-linked ransomware gang. Oh, I should note that this article is by Carly Page. So I'm going to give her credit. So this ransomware gang who's responsible for the high-profile cyber attacks on Kaseya, TravelX, and JBS earlier this year has disappeared again after its Tor payment portal and data leak blog were allegedly hijacked. The shutdown comes weeks after the group re-emerged following a month-long hiatus during which the group went quiet after facing heat from the U.S. government in response to its attack on Kaseya, which resulted in thousands of companies being infected with ransomware. News of the shutdown was first claimed in a post on a known criminal forum by a threat actor known to be affiliated with the Reval operation, first discovered by Recorded Futures' Dmitry Samalyanets. So I'm not going to read the whole article. You're certainly welcome to go find it. Um, it's all over the place. But it, this is just, it's kind of nice to see when bad guys target other bad guys and there's infighting and they have to deal with all these same things that we have to deal with with them. Uh, and they find that their operational security is not as great as they thought it would be and that the dark web is not really that safe a place for everybody. Uh, certainly you can hide some of your information and you can anonymize some of your information. And really the only difference between the dark web and what we know as the surface web is you can't search it. So it's really not that big a difference. And the difference between... The surface web, the dark web, and the deep web. The surface web is google.com, ESPN.com. Anywhere you can put in a URL and go to a page without a login is the surface web. It's what we all see. If you have to log into something, you're on the deep web. So the deep web is going to be your Google Mail login. So if you have to log into an account, you're on the deep web. Dark web is a part of the deep web that is not, the websites are, are configured so that you can't browse them through traditional search web, search engines. Uh, and they're just a different part of the deep web. It's nothing really special. It's just, again, harder to get into. You need encrypted tunnels sometimes. And, and it's just, there's logins, all that kind of stuff. So there's really not a big difference between all of it, just how you access them. So whether you know it or not, when you log into a Password protected site, you've accessed the deep web. It's not that big a deal. It's just a different part of, of the internet. So it's, you know, nice. It, well, part of it, the media gets a lot of this wrong in trying to define what the dark web is and all that kind of stuff. And it's some magical place where bad guys hang out. And they certainly hang out there because they know that, you know, most folks aren't going into there and they can they can secure their data, hide who they're talking about. But if you want to figure out what's going on on the dark web, 
or on the, in the deep web and, and how much of your information is there, then Shadow Dragon is the product for you. And I'm not here to pitch Shadow Dragon. I'm like, this is not an advertisement. But my first guest I'm going to talk to here in a few minutes is Daniel Clemens. He is the creator and the, oops, sorry, the creator and the CEO of Shadow Dragon, which does searches of the dark web and deep web for information um, for, for the customer. So it's, it's a service you can purchase. It's not cheap, but uh, you know, from a corporation standpoint, it's great to look for compromised passwords and, and how many, how much of your stuff is, is out there and identifiable by bad guys. So, so we're going to talk to him first. Again, like I said, this is from the 2021 National Cyber Summit in Huntsville. All right. So it's my pleasure to bring in Daniel Clemens, the founder of ShadowDragon.io, a dark web OSINT tool, if I've got that more or less correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we provide, we have a few different tools in the open source intelligence collection space, but the bottom line is uh, analysts need to not worry about the collection portion. Mm -hmm. We've got that covered. They need to, to worry about the questions they can ask about the information they can get back. Okay. So, you know, we tie into over 130 different platforms. Um, some of them are social media, some of them are not, um, but anywhere, anywhere where there is human nature online, we're going to try to map that out and uh, try to also give you some heads up alerts if there's a, you know, a leak on your, you know, your organization or something like so that. So how did you start? How did, so what, so let's go back a little bit to your background. What right. got you involved in cybersecurity in general? And was, when you started, was it even called cybersecurity? Chances no, are it yeah, wasn't. there was no cybersecurity when I started. So I was, um, I think, uh, let's see, what was that movie? Sneakers, Sneakers had just yes, come out. Yes, right? with Robert Redford. Sneakers came out, I saw that, and uh, it just clicked in my head. Like, you know what, that's what I'm gonna do for my life. I'm gonna be a hacker. So I was about 15, um, roll around towards about the uh, end of high school. I was uh, living in Durango, Colorado, and I, was, I just went over to an ISP and I said, hey, I wanna go work for you guys. And they're like, we got a job opening right now for uh, technical support. You Let me know. step back once. So you said sneakers was what got you going. What about war games? War games didn't, war didn't games do it for you? War games was good, but sneakers, that was, <laughs> I was like, yeah. Okay. You know, like sneakers was it, you know? Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, I, I uh, had a, a lot of fortunate uh, interactions at the time. This is in the, the mid-90s where, you know, I, I end up meeting um, Jeff Moss from, uh, he started DEF CON, Black Hat. My... The boss that I would work for in a company at that time had introduced me. He was Jeff was coming in to actually be my boss at, at the time, um, and um, so we hung out for a few days. And then he was like, "Hey, why don't we go to DevCon Black Hat?" Um, I go to I think it was like DevCon Seven or something, and um, I'm just green. Sure. And um, I don't know if you remember Jeff Nathan and Marty Roche from the Sourcefire before it was Sourcefire Days Snort. Uh, Jeff Nathan pulls me aside at the conference and he's like, he saw I was reading TCPIP Illustrated Volume 1. He's like, you're coming with me. <laughs> he, he literally just took me to every single talk and he said, what you don't understand, don't worry. I'm going to explain it to you. He's going to sit, he sat next to me every day to every talk and just said, this is what you should learn. This is what he's talking about. Don't worry about it. And, and that was, those are some of the, the first times where the intersectionality of the, uh, you know, information security world and you know unix and mm -hmm. and you know doing all the sysadmin stuff was really budding and and i was pursuing that you know my, my goal was i need to know everything about every operating system and uh, and this is know. before the day of certifications and all that yeah, stuff right no, yeah. certifications hadn't rolled around yet yeah um and and so like the isp i worked at we had thirty thousand users and like 
10 people managing right. it. You know, sure. So, and like four You were overstaffed at that. Yeah, yeah, we were. <laughs> we had four technical people running, you know, three or four Red Hat Linux boxes. I remember having the big, we had a big showdown as, as to like, should we go with Red Hat 6.1 because it's got loadable kernel modules or should we go with a Spark? You know, like, because that's better. You know, like, um, so that was those are that was what it was like then, and and really, there was I, I had spent all this time you know building out my lab at my house. This is before virtual machines. I had mm-hmm. you know little x86 boxes. You know what could I load Unix wise onto these boxes? I had a one time I installed Sco. It took like three weeks to install. You know over you know a floppy drive over the internet. You know so. Yeah, it's funny you say when I when I first joined the FBI, I was in the Charlotte field office, and we were one of the we were one of only sixteen offices that had cyber squads. Yeah, per se, they weren't even called cyber squads then because the FBI didn't know what they were doing with cyber at night in two thousand in two thousand. So they brought down these guys from our operational technology division to create us a, a lab, and we had every avail pretty much every available operating system on its own standalone machine connected to each other. So they're all talking to they're all communicating. You could you could move in between machines and stuff. And then about a week later, they stopped communicating, and we didn't know what the hell to do. Right, <laughs> right, right. You're like, oh no. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I, I, I there was a lot of fun times during that time period. Like I was working at um, the ISP was Frontier Internet, and the guys right down the hall from us ran Apache.com. Okay. Yes. Nice. So the you know Apache.org was getting to be big and everyone was trying to own apache.com yep so um those guys had this you know pearl cgi uh checkout cart thing which was always getting owned and um at frontier we we had given them the you know the i guess the ethernet for their mm-hmm. their hub at the time which was connected to our hub and this was the big reason they got owned and then somebody installed a sniffer on their box and was harvesting all the passwords um, off the network, and so that's when we were like, "You guys need to get a switch." Switches uh-huh. just come out, right? Yes. And uh, so you guys need to get a switch. We're gonna get switches, and we're gonna put you behind a firewall. Which there was no firewalls at the time, really. I mean, there was, but not many. Sure. You know? It's like IP masquerading, right? And how many how many times did their website get put on attrition.org? Oh yeah, yeah. So they got owned a lot, man. Like down to the point where they'd call me. They're like, "There's a guy. There's a guy who has root." I'm like. <laughs> They're like, can you can you SSH in, and um, I'd SSH in and and why talk with the guy? Yep. And be like, hey, how'd you get in? Oh, it's a stat D exploit or you know RPC or whatever. And um, I'm like, ah, oh, can you tell me what are the what are the other things you're researching? And that you know that was helping mm-hmm. me understand how those guys got in. Sure. So let's go. Let's move to Shadow Dragon because because yeah. I will say this: this is a teaser reel for right. our longer conversation down the line. So so Shadow. So you do that for a while. And then when did when did was Shadow Dragon form? What was the nexus so for the nexus wanting to build was, it? Was I had I had started Packet Ninjas, a consulting firm, in 2005. We were doing pen test stuff and also doing investigations. Um, what happened was a lot of cu- customers between 2005 and 2010 um, were pulling us into these really complex um, insider type investigations where there was like organized crime and a cyber component to mm-hmm. it. Our customers started asking us, we know what happened, how can we move to who? And 
two or three clients at the time, all commercial clients outside the United States, were all all did the same thing, like no budget, find these guys. What were they hoping to do if they found out? They wanted to get get them arrested. <laughs> okay. You know, they didn't or, realize or no the, one's getting arrested. You know, they, or or the fact in some of it they wanted to reduce the fraud risk. You know, oh, so, fair enough. Yeah. Like I mean, you had on, on some of it you had fraud risk uh, in different banks, upwards of forty percent. Okay. So. It wasn't just a, a compromise. It was there was human human elements in the sure. in the um, problems that, that they had, um, and, and then like some some of the times, um, I remember one time one of our customers called in. They're like, "Look, um, we're supporting the other party against Hugo Chavez. Uh, he's now threatening us with his hacker crew and wants to you know take our our, our company as a state asset." You know, during during in Venezuela, You're okay. can you come do an assessment, right? So we, I, I went down there and did an assessment. You know, to um, Venezuela, to Venezuela. All right, as a, as an as a regular citizen, it was it was amazing. Um, but when we started Shadow Dragon, um, a few customers start seeing the tools that we had, and they and and this was even before we even had an office. You know, a real real office. Um, people just start showing up at my house different government agencies and clients and saying hey can you show us that <laughs> can we buy that and, and we literally just wrote on this this big whiteboard thing like okay this is how we're gonna price this I still have the original one we just made up the prices because we're like maybe we'll have more than one customer <laughs> you know what I mean yeah maybe more than two and um, you know that was that was 2010 and, and then um, one thing after another, we just kept making one more tool for a particular use case to make it so we didn't have to do consulting or reverse engineering or whatever. Um, and um, people just kept wanting to, you know, buy it. Presentation by Allison Miller, Chief Information Security Officer for Optum United Health Group will begin in approximately 10 minutes in the East Hall. Okay, so what does Shadow Dragon do? What is so uh, what is Dragon, the tool? Yeah, so Shadow Dragon, um, we we have a few different tool sets. Uh, primarily, our flagship is SocialNet. SocialNet ties into over 130 different platforms on the internet. Everything from your social media sites to anywhere where there's human interaction. We're going to speed up um, some of that collection. Some of the questions you might ask, like, what's this phone number tied to? What's this alias tied to? What's this name are there you know different accounts for this name across different places and and then once you get that platform back you can start asking questions like anything you can visually see in a platform let's say it's TikTok you know they've got videos you can right click and say get me the videos right click get me the followers right click you know we want it to make it so it's a, a right click to have an experience in you asking questions mm -hmm. so you think about you start having this across so many platforms, you can ask lots of different questions about HR, like what you're investigating. So like, for instance, like when um, Antifa was going strong last year yep. um, across the United States, we mapped out a lot of that stuff to try to understand like what's, what's the commonality in this group? What's their favorite TV show was one of the questions we wanted to know. Guess what it was? Don't know. The Simpsons. <laughs> like 98% of all the antique folks love The Simpsons. That okay. That's what they liked, you know? 
Um, so you, you, you know, you like you can ask lots of different questions, and that gives you a different perspective on what you're researching. You know, um, the other thing that we have is um, uh, situational awareness monitoring. So this kind of emerged from when Anonymous was going big. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, we got a call from a customer saying, "Hey, can you look into this Anonymous thing?" Um, I looked at some of those tools that they were running and wrote some, you know, Snort IDS signatures. Send it back to the customer, and, and apparently we were the only ones that noticed how you could detect this over the wire. And then they said, uh, "We want you to monitor these guys and make IDS signatures for every tool and capability every day for six months." So we were like, "Well, we don't want to read this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All we want to do is get a new tool." make an IDS signature and send a report out. It was like me and one other guy, right? And um, so we, we made the monitoring system and we slowly just started tacking on new platforms, you know, from social media to dark web to, you know, GitHub. You could monitor that for mm -hmm. people dumping your code out or, you know, which is a common thing, by the way, like people will do a commit to the wrong code base and then your proprietary stuff is in the wrong code base. And you're like, oh, well. I want to know about it in three minutes, you know? So, let me, so I'm going to ask you a, a, a dark web question just out of, just for people's general awareness. Because a lot of people, I think, will think, well, I, I don't know how to get to the dark web. It seems too private. It's not that complicated to get to, is it? No, it's not complicated at all. In fact, it's integrated as a new tab in a lot of the new browsers. Okay. So you can just say, hey, I want to surf on Tor. Yep. It's a seamless experience, which is it's kind of a scary thing for um, criminal activity on the lower end because now there's no barrier to entry. Right, right, right. They have no barrier to entry to get on the dark web, to get on these marketplaces, to to really order almost anything you can think about, and it's horrible. You know, yeah, like, yeah. It, it, it's and it's not just you know all doom and gloom because the people in some of these marketplaces don't have the greatest operational security. Um, if anybody wants to call me, I can tell yeah. you a few tricks. That, you know, <laughs> give it give it a month and a half, and you'll probably know where they are. You know, yeah. I mean, there's a reason Silk Road and Silk Road 2.0 all yeah. went down because yeah. they're, you know, there's still people and there's still that human factor. Yeah, there's always going to be a human factor. There's always going to be a cash out factor. Like, can we follow the money? Can we, you know, look for things where they expose things on dark web and on the internet, you know, normal internet. Um, but things that are sold there, literally anything you can ever think of. Everything from drugs to kidnappings to guns you know, and guns, ammunition yeah ammunition um part numbers i know some of our customers look for part numbers huh uh, oh for their for, for, for their parts like their parts. for su supply chain stuff like okay no one should have those parts how do yeah. they even know about that or counterfeit uh money that's another one all right uh fake passports fake you know documentation that's a big thing and then obviously um, all the compromisable software you can use to right. to do your exploits. Yeah. All right, so Daniel, we could talk forever, and maybe we will talk forever in another podcast, because I would like to bring you back and, and do a more formalized where we're not getting interrupted by the uh, announcements, everyone, because there's a lot of questions I need I could ask that I think a lot of people would find value in, because there's not a lot of people with your expertise out there that look at this stuff all the time. So Thank you. Hopefully I can have you back. Awesome. Thanks. 
So again, I want to thank Daniel Clemens for, for taking a few minutes to talk to me at the National Cyber Summit. I'm going to have him on for a longer conversation here in the near future. He agreed to do that, which was very nice of him to do so, so we can get a little deeper into the dark web and all the stuff that his product does and things like that. So now the, for the next part of this podcast, which is, a, like I said, a little unique the way I'm doing this, I'm going to talk to Dr. Chase Cunningham uh, about his new book, Gabriel. Give it a listen, and I hope you like it. So I want to welcome back to the podcast, Dr. Chase Cunningham. Chase is the Chief Strategy Officer at Ericom Software, host of the Dr. Zero Trust podcast, and also accomplished author. Chase, welcome back. I appreciate you taking the time. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, so far, I'm not accomplished. I'm trying to accomplish something. <laughs> well, hopefully this will help because I, I, hey, I bought I bought the book. So I guess you got you got there one you go. one person who bought well, it. So one book sold. <laughs> yeah. So so I wanted to bring you on to talk about your your new book, Gabriel. Um, and I, I like I said, the cover kind of gives away a little bit of it. If you it, once it once it kind of starts rolling into there, was that intentional? Did you yeah, design I the cover? To see if people would kind of pick up on it a little bit. And the funny thing is, is you got the the you got the title right. I've had a lot of people that aren't in our kind of technology space that are like, "What is C colon slash Gabriel?" Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yep. So so what made so you you have a a previous book that's a nonfiction book, and and you mentioned some. You also have some some comics that are based on real stuff. So your your other book is Cyber Warfare: Truth, Tactics, and Strategies. What made you decide to write a fictional cyber thriller this time instead of a, another nonfiction book? To, to be perfectly frank, I watched that movie Black Hat with uh, Chris Hemsworth in it, and like that movie pissed me off so much that I was like. <laughs> I was like, I got to write something that's at least relatively grounded in technology reality. And uh, and I just I, I actually started writing the book um, while I was sitting out back by the fire pit. And I just I just kind of word vomited. And then I said, wow, this could turn into something. And then I, I kind of just kept going from there. And I got to say, I'm envious because I've always wanted to, to write a, write a book kind of not exactly like yours, but similar with a cyber cyber terrorism type of meme to it, if you will. But I could never bring myself, I was too lazy, too lazy. To, I, I wrote like a couple chapters for a book 13 years ago. And no. uh, in my head, I had an idea for what it was. I never kind of went with it. So how, how hard was that process? Um, I actually kind of commented on it at the end. There's the dog, because it wouldn't be a podcast. That's all right. Part, all but like, uh, I actually kind of commented on it at the end of the book where I said, like, for me, writing a, a novel was way harder than writing, like even my dissertation or research stuff. Because you have to you have to pull it all out of your own brain and then describing stuff to people that you know you know what it looks like in your head but making it where you can make them see it and it's something that they're going to put in their in their own mind's eye is is i mean it's really really hard did you like map out what the story wanted to be in and it, I'm not going to give anyone any spoilers, but it, it, it doesn't exactly end per se so did you write it with the idea of having more books down the line going forward yeah, uh, well, I'm such a movie geek that I think anything good has got a trilogy in it. So I was like, yeah. you know what, if I write this and it's okay, then I'll write another one and go from there. I mean, ultimate goal is a trilogy, but um, I figure if, if if I only sell one book to Darren, then I guess I don't do a trilogy. <laughs> yeah. That's so yeah, I, I had a, a friend of mine, um, he was a, a friend when I was in Charlotte, and he wrote a book. He was passionate about um, um, uh human trafficking. So he wrote a book about human trafficking. Him and I had known each other for a while. He was actually a source for the FBI, quite frankly. And uh, so he had, he had wrote a character based on himself and there was an FBI agent in it called Daryl Moss. So that's the closest I ever got to any kind of you know, author of fame kind of thing. But, but uh, yeah. so how'd you come up with the idea for the main character? Is, is the main character 
for lack of a better way to say it, a feminized version of you or is it because uh, the main character the main character is a female so what made you come yeah. up with that with that concept well I, uh, I I've seen so much stuff bouncing around and like you know about this initiative for more to more inclusion more diversity whatever else and I was like I, I, I applaud everybody for talking about it but I was like let's let's have somebody do something that kind of shows that there is a, a side of that that other uh, that other group that they can do things that that people think only dudes can do. Right. And I mean, that was, I have two daughters. I grew up in a a house full of really, uh, you would call it assertive, powerful women. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I wanted to do that and kind of tie that together. And then if you're not familiar with the story of like heroes, like Shannon Kent, I wanted to kind of weave in some of those stories, uh, about people like that, that have, that have really done the work and have been in that forward looking, uh, operational side of things. And does a crypt- the bad guy is a, oh, is a woman too, by the way. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's right. the point to take. Away. Well, there's two bad, there's two bad guys, but we don't want to give away how there's two bad guys, right. but yeah. So, yeah. so is, so one of the, so your main character starts off, uh, as a seal support team on the cryptologic support. Does that exactly exist? Does that, does yeah, that actually? Does. Yeah. I okay. might, uh, I might know a thing or two about that. Get- wink, wink. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so, so with that early scene with the seals, did you base that on your own? Uh, if you can't answer, obviously I get that, but did you, so I, I guess you did base it on your experience. Um, or do you have, co- did you have colleagues that filled in the gap as far as how that may have changed over time or, or what it looked like back then even, I guess. Uh, well, let's just say I've got intricate knowledge of uh, some of how those operations may or may not be conducted. And I, I've I've been lucky that I, a lot of my friends are uh, team guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I've I picked and pulled from a whole lot of different experiences and conversations. Um, in future books, are you going to go back and, and look more into that that part of her life? The, the seal yeah, part the of it is, is um, somebody got it and read it like the first day it came out and he immediately pinged me and he's like, I need a backstory. And I was yes, like, okay, right. I guess. I guess book two has to have yeah, some right. Yep, yep, yep. Or, or actually, the, your second trilogy. You finish this yeah, trilogy, right. and then the first trilogy goes goes back in time. Were you inspired by any other authors? Like I'm a, what what drew me to this one? I'm a fan of Vince Flynn books and Brad Thor and Ben Coase. Did did have you read any of those guys? And that help focus how yeah, you would read. Uh, I was a big fan of the Mitch Rapp series. Like I read all those, uh, and I'm I've always been a big Tom Clancy guy. So I kind of wanted to go you know into that sort of realm with it, um, and I. You know, I like I remember reading about when Tom Clancy wrote uh, The Hunt for Red October and, you know, the way he kind of approached that was how I kind of approached writing this. So the main bad guy, let's just call it that. What was the what what came? How'd you come up with that idea for that for that aspect of it? Uh, well, you know, they always say write kind of with things that have impacted you growing up. And um, I, I grew up in a, in a I guess you would say a pretty religious household. Right. So, I mean, we. We were big time Bible people and we went to church all night and I, and I've also had a lot of exposure to artificial intelligence. And I was like, well, what if we took AI and we took some of the more hardcore bad things in the Bible and tied those two together Would things go awry? And as I kind of put that together in my mind, you know, when you when you get a, a good sort of fictionalized idea, it just feeds on itself. And the next thing I know, I'm writing a chapter about chainsaw massacre and the bible and artificial intelligence <laughs> it just goes down rabbit holes yeah, i was gonna say apparently you were a horror horror movie fan growing oh, up i guess um, yeah. <laughs> I <love horror> movies. <laughs> so you're gonna go see the new was it uh, halloween 
Oh yeah, but you know, I'm I'm really uh like I, Michael Myers is one of the horror guys that I'm always just like it's not he's always been going to the same house for 50 years. Just yeah, move, can't, right move for that one day and you're good. <laughs> right? Is he not mad at anybody else? That's why I can't ever figure right. out. Just don't be there and you're fine. He's. Yeah, I mean, at least at least um, the Friday the 13th guy moves around. Yeah, exactly. He goes yeah. to Manhattan. Jason goes to Manhattan. Right? <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. So. How did you? Here's a, so. How did you come up with? So there's two bad guys. Like I said, there's the Gabriel, and then there's your other bad guy. Mm-hmm. Where'd that come from? Because that that one that one came out of the blue for me. I kind of saw where it was going, to, and I, I'll be honest, with you, I, I had a completely different idea of where I thought this was going to where it ended up with, especially with that particular aspect. And uh, was that purposeful to to throw off the reader to look at this? Oh, that's not exactly what I expected this to be. Yeah, well, I was um, I wanted to show, you know, like I said, the inclusion diversity thing of having a a hero that was not the typical hero, but I also wanted to have the bad guy, which was not the typical bad guy. And I I was trying to, you know, first shot over the bow, you really want to throw everything into the mix and hopefully it's not a total mess. And I wanted to kind of get into the side of um, the the hacker underground, the cyber criminal organization and how that could tie into this whole thing. So it was just. It was just really, um, I think, a, more of a unique opportunity to kind of thread all these things together and have that go. And I was actually um, pretty pleased when I kicked it over to my editor and, and she goes, this is really good. However, she even said at the end of this, um, you know, you need to give your 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 bad girl a little bit more uh, push. So I had to rewrite a whole chapter to, to give her a little bit of more heft in the story. Did the um, did the did the publisher want more story? I mean, it's a purpose because it's, no, it's it's pretty short. So yeah. is it purposely short for that reason to kind of develop the characters and maybe elongate it in the next couple books? Yeah, I mean that was that was the other part too. Is like I said, it was it was really difficult for me to to do this. So it was uh, it was a lot of effort, and I think I think I lost a few neurons as I wrote it. But I mean, the other the other piece was um, I wanted to do a, a, a short a short read. Like I, yeah. I think people's attention spans now are so short. Yeah, I didn't want to. I didn't want to put a Stephen King, you know, uh, this thick book out in front of folks and no one, no one get through it. Yeah, it's a great point because it took me. I, I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. So when we were scheduling this, this pod, this interview, I bought the book and I read the first couple of chapters and I didn't get back to it again. And then Monday, you're like, so we, we having this conversation or not? And I'm like, oh shoot, I better finish this book. And so I finished it that day. It didn't take me very long. It was pretty quick, but it, it moves very. It's a very fast paced. Was that by design? Yeah, I mean, I I, uh, I I tried to write it uh, from the perspective of uh, if I was watching a movie, you yeah. know, I would want that movie to have that kind of pace. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I I think I like I said, I read like you did. I've read Vince Lynn and whatever. I really liked when the the action stuff was kind of kicking off and there was a lot of push going through. Um, the one thing I did kind of learn here was uh, I, I hate I hate movies where they don't give you enough like exposition and kind of. You know, they, they take for granted you understand what all is going on and they leave these big gaps in the story. Um, I, I actually had cut out a bunch of stuff because my editor was like, dude, you've you've nerded this up way too much. Yeah. So I've got content for book two. I guess, <laughs> Right. Um, so was so the, the NSA, the smart NSA guy that identifies the problem. Is that based on someone, you know, how many of the, well, let me rephrase that. How many of the characters in the book are based on some other people, you know, all, all of them, every <laughs> single one. Yep. OK. All right. But uh, one thing I the guy with the uh, Hulk suspenders. Yeah. yeah. Well, what about the so was the deputy and the deputy NSA director? Was he an asshole in real life, too? He was. Yeah. (laughs) Just checking. Just just wondering. And did he he dress in the so you you describe him very deliberately. Is is that what that guy wore? Whoever you based on? 
picture him in my like when I close my eyes, I can still see the guy. Like the person that I was kind of basing him off of, I literally can see those people. And what's funny too is um I think if you if you try and write this type of stuff, like as you do it and you get better at, at uh, describing stuff that someone else can see, your picture of that thing becomes way more clear. Like mm. I can I can see every one of my characters in total clarity now. Yeah, it's funny you say that because when I'm reading, I could visualize what they look like. So I got to imagine for you, it's even more so. I mean, you're like, yeah. like I don't know about you. When yeah, I yeah. when I read Vince Flynn books, I think Vince Flynn is Mitch Mitch Rapp. That's that's the face I see is Vince Flynn's face, but. Yeah, I can, um, you know, I, I think I could, honestly, I'm, I'm hoping if I get the chance to do another one, like I'll get to go down and describe a little bit more because I'm a big Stephen King fan too. And Stephen King will spend eight pages describing someone's zipper on their pants. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you, but it's the, it was a great book, but it took forever to get through. Oh my God. Yeah. And then like Tommy knockers and a and few the, of those the, other ones. The stand. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, Oh, the stand, of course. Mm-hmm. Like I don't need 75 pages of what an airplane inside looks like. Right. Right. Well, speaking of, speaking of airplanes. So there's a, there's a scene in your book with an airplane and I don't, we're not, I don't want to talk cause it's an inch. It's a very, it's an interesting chapter to read. How likely is that today for something like that to occur? I specifically wrote that because um, I did a, 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 a closed door session with some members of um, Capitol Hill, and I, I talked to them about that. And I was like, I was like, you folks realize there is no technical control that stops this from happening right now, you know? And they they kind of were saying, oh well, we have these rules and legislation. I was like, that that's not what I'm talking about. Like there is there is nothing technically that stops me from flying drones into the jet engine of a jet plane and bad things happening because. It might chew up a goose, but chewing up a drone is a different story. Um, and I, I, I loathe flying. Like, I hate it. I'm the worst flyer in the world. I have to take Xanax to get on a plane. Mm-hmm. And I think about it every time I take off. Like, what if what if this goes down? So for me, swear to God, I'm talking about it, and I still get goosebumps just thinking about it. Yeah. So it's the book is written in a very conversational language, let's say. This is probably not a book you're going to want your 8-year-old to read. <laughs> or maybe your 14-year-old. Yeah. But 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 I'm guessing it's based on how people in that world in, in the one the world you're you're used to. I mean, I I read I'm like I'm sitting in an FBI office again. So I assume it's based yeah. on your own experiences and that's how they talk. Yeah, I mean it's um my my, my mom actually texted me and she goes why so much profanity? <laughs> <laughs> and I just said I was like mom that's how it is. Like I I don't remember being uh, deployed with people and them you know not using the f word. So yeah. it's in there. Oh, that is an unfortunate bullet in my butt yeah no no one's saying that yeah dang ouch <laughs> so so what's the okay so what is your i mean if you may not have mapped out the, the the part of the trilogy but um so what's the anticipation for the second book is i mean as far as a, like are you, have you started writing have you started thinking about it are, do you have note cards to start writing now they have like a big wall of with maps and lines and saying here's where this character is going to go and this where that's going to go I've actually got the, um, I guess you'd call it a basic sort of storyline going through there. And, um, you know, without giving too much away, I'll definitely say that uh, the uh, the rogue AI stuff goes like really rogue in book two. Um, because, you know, we I kind of left it open at the end, like, you know, what, what they thought they saw. They saw the problem and they hadn't. And um, now, you know, one of those things of when something realizes how much power it has, that's not a good place to be. So one part, maybe you can explain it for me because I, I read it twice. I still didn't quite grasp it because maybe that's part of the technical part you put it when, when they when they captured him. How did they? What was the? 
how was how did that how was that supposed to have occurred? Because I got kind of lost on to how they captured it to identify who was beaconing back to. So basically, uh, the the way that they kind of captured it was to to the, you know this this entity doesn't know a whole lot about like real uh, real security practices. He knows what he's kind of been able to learn on the internet, which is kind of what any anybody can learn when they look out there. But this is not a practiced uh, security individual. So. They basically set it up where he goes into kind of a honeypot and he's he's in there. And because he's in a honeypot and they have control of it, they can isolate him. And that that's their their hook. But because he's in the honeypot, just like anyone else, he's trying to get home and he knows how to call home. And that's where they see where he's trying to go. OK, so doesn't he have it is like maybe this is the part that threw me off was if he if he's an AI and he's kind of, you know, he's a digital creation is all it was all of him in the honeypot. Well, so that's kind of the the point of uh, book two and, okay. and going a little further is um, there are things like, and that's that's where I tried to ground the AI side of this in reality is AI is not just from the start, like even if, even if we had a real AI, it's not from the start, just this all-knowing entity that figures everything out immediately. It just like a person learns over time and and, and follow on things like this entity is going to figure out like, well, I didn't even realize it, but I, I've done these other things and it's out there and I can continue to, you know, do what I want to do. Did you have Cyberdyne in your mind at any time while you're writing this? <laughs> I had, uh, what was it? Um, uh, gosh, what's the Terminator one? Uh, yeah, Cyberdyne. Oh, was it Cyberdyne? Yeah, system? yeah, yeah. Cyberdyne Systems. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, which was an Air Force project, so I guess maybe the Air Force was responsible for ending the world. No, oh, could be, saying. could be. So you were, we were talking, <laughs> we were talking beforehand that each chapter starts with a date, twenty seventeen, and the, the, the most recent part of the book is twenty seventeen. What was the relevance to that year? Um, so I think that's where we really started to see conversations around artificial intelligence and quantum and cyber become a really sort of significant topic and. You know, trying to plan for future stuff. Like I said, if I get lucky enough to write some more, where uh, I want to be able to go into more current timeframes. So, and that's that's something I learned working with my my editor, who's way better at any of this than I'll ever be. Where she was saying, like, don't don't do it now. Kind of give yourself room to go forward in the future because you're you're working with a topic area that is kind of now and future state. Right. And so your protagonist, your main character, was she created because once this trilogy resolves itself, is she, is she, I mean, maybe you'll kill her at the end. I don't know. But I assume that she's going to be like a Mitch Rapp character where she just continues on. She keeps dealing with cyber issues because I, I got to like by the time you, you're done with the third book, there's going to be vulnerabilities and threats out that we don't even know exist currently that you could then write on at that point. Are you, are you eyeing forward for that to this be a larger, longer? She's basically the main character, like, like you know, a, a Mitch Rapp or um, what's Brad uh, Scott Horvath kind of character. Yeah, I mean that was um that's that's kind of the the thinking right is uh if you look at like Jack Ryan and those guys like Jack Ryan eventually becomes director of the CIA so you know that those kind of progressions are very possible and very realistic and I think that that's that's kind of the point too of um, continuing to push this message of diversity and inclusion of like look there's there's opportunities for everybody in this space but it's on you to take those uh, opportunities and make something out of them and this this character if I have anything to say about it, it's going to and one. One thing I'll point out that no one's picked up on yet, and I haven't had anyone say, 
no one's picked up on what her initials actually are. And for those of us that are cyber people, we should, I thought we should kind of get a kick out of her initials. Oh, shoot. I'm going to have to go look that. I didn't catch it myself. I wasn't paying close enough attention. Uh, but uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you the next question. I'll go see if I can figure it out. So did the, you need NSA approval to publish it? Did you have to send it for them to remove? Because you, you mentioned San Antonio and a couple other places. So. Yeah, I did a pre-publication review, and everybody, luckily, that's one re another reason I learned to write a short book. Um, doesn't take them long to, to review it. <laughs> and they didn't make you, because uh, have you ever read um, Jack Carr's stuff? Uh, maybe one or two. Yeah, it's been a while. Because he redacts it, but all he does is... Oh, I get, okay. I get your, okay. I got you. I, I just see the initials. I get it. Yes. Okay. So, uh, um, you re, so he, his book, whatever he had to redact, he just puts a black line through it. So you read his book and there's black lines in the middle of the book. So I got, mm -hmm. did, did, did you have to remove stuff or did, or did they say we're good with all this? No, they, uh, well, number one, they looked at uh, the timeline, like when I retired and stuff and they were like, okay, that's, you know, more, almost a decade ago. So we're not going to call that an issue. And then the other was, there was nothing in there that's, uh, what you would consider to be, uh, bounded in necessarily, you know, things they're engaged in. So it was not a, not a problem for them. Right. Cause you, you didn't give the address of the San Antonio location and everybody knows the NSA has a San Antonio spot. So not like I mean, you can look, everything in there, you can look up on Google, right? Yeah. There you, you know? go. Yeah. Open source is, 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 is awesome. So let's yeah. talk your podcast now a little bit. How's that going for you? Oh, uh, good. I got like 2,500 listeners. I'm still $0 in the bank, which I'm actually really proud of because I don't, uh, you know, I, I kind of learned my lesson in some past exploits of when you get sponsorships and things like that, people can kind of push on what you say and what you don't say. And I'd rather just say what I want. Yep. Yep. How do you get to 2,500? That's my question. I'd, I'd love to get to at least half that. How do, how do I get to have that? Uh, I don't know. Just be a, a nonstop pain in the ass on the internet probably helps, I guess. Well, it's funny because I, I basically get my cyber news from you at this point because you're the only one talking about a lot of these things. Like I didn't know anything about the, the express VPN and the, cause I use private internet access. So I'm not mm -hmm. like, okay, how do I not use it? I guess I got to find a different one now. Cause that was, a, if you want to talk briefly about that, that was an interesting discussion on that, on that particular issue with the is Israelis, right? The guy's Israeli. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, there's, there's so much stuff that goes on in the space. And the funny thing is when you look at the reporting and this is why I wanted to cover the news side of it. Cause I mean, I think I've got uh, a specific insight of just, there's things that are kind of reported that show up in mainstream. And then there's things where you have to really get through it to get to the meat of the matter. And that's the actual value of the story. So I spend my time trying to cull through that and go like, look, I got 30 minutes to give a week's worth of interesting cyber stuff and right. what is of most value. And just like on the, the stuff for that VPN side, like there's there was all these weird shenanigans going on between companies and founders. And then, oh, by the way, we happen to have this access and we gave this other company this thing. And, you know, by the time it's over with, you realize like this is basically an, a totally invalid VPN service that shouldn't be offered for something people are paying for. Um, and they, you know, they, they're not going to come out and say that, but somebody should. Yeah, sure. So let me go back to your book. So your Sci Ninja, you have several volumes of Sci Ninja comics. Sinja, Sinja, yeah, yeah. sorry, yeah. my bad. What are those about? Those, uh, so those I, I didn't buy. Those with my co-author Heather Dahl. Um, we we put those together for uh, kids and families to kind of get them to understand like cyber stuff, like what is malware, what is uh, domain, those those things. And a funny funny thing, we um we got invited to Comic Con three years in a row. So we were out there, you know, doing Comic Con stuff. We had workshops with kids we've done things for school districts it, it was it was a really fun project cool and all these things are available at amazon just look up dr chase cunningham you can find all of his books there um so your publisher i, I looked up your publisher is that a small publishing house 
Yeah, she's really good. Um, she's great. If uh, if anyone you know that listens is interested and wants to work with somebody that knows how to do publishing and not kind of drag you over the coals about the cost, she's she's who I'd recommend. Okay, and what's her name? And what's the name of her company again? Julia Clark at uh, Superbrand Publishing. Okay, cool. Well, Jason, anything else you want to talk about the book that I may have missed out on that you'd like people to know about? Uh, I mean, I you know I always value people's feedback. I would say if you do read it, you know, don't hesitate to publicly say how terrible it is, or you know, if you enjoyed it, because that's that's what uh, everybody's you know looking for when you do write something. I mean, you know, you 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 put your heart and soul into something, you put it out there, and hopefully it it you know either does good or helps help somebody and interest somebody in the space. And I mean, that's the goal. Sure, sure. And I'll get you out with this question: Cybersecurity Awareness Month. What's your what is your main point people should take away from cybersecurity awareness month uh everyone is a valid threat um and it doesn't have to be hard to be a harder target all right chase cunningham thank you very much check out his book gabriel uh it came out on october 5th it's got a very interesting cover you can't miss it thanks chase thanks man all right have a good one that is going to do it for episode 53 of the cyber guy podcast i want to thank daniel clemens and dr chase cunningham for joining me you can follow any of us on LinkedIn. I am at linkedin.com slash IN slash Darren Mott for Cybersecurity Awareness Month. I am posting different stories about different cybercrime cases over the years. And you can follow uh, Daniel and Chase on there as well. As you go through your week, remember, knowledge is protection. If you understand the threats targeting you, you can assess your risk online and proceed wisely. Thanks for all who listen and who tell your friends to listen to the podcast. We will talk to you next week.